I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. Season, the artist Duck's Breath Mystery Theater, and my guest, Taylor Jessen. Taylor, thank you for being here. Yo, my pleasure, sir. Delighted to see you again. So people have heard you a million times on this show, but almost always as either person who has uh, fixed up uh, some albums he had nothing to do with or Firesign Theater's archivist. But now you're officially, uh, as of well, a couple years ago, I guess, but still, now you are officially Duck's Breath Theater's archivist as well. I have I have adopted them. They have adopted me. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty exciting. This yeah. is really just why I do this thing is so that I can find some interesting comedy uh, soul, some some school of comedy, which mm-hmm. the Ducks definitely are, and just dig in. And what's great about these guys is that hardly anybody uh, knows their, their story and yeah. all, all, too, all too few people actually even remember them. Yeah, which is, an, which is annoying. It's too bad. They don't care. They've got careers going. They're good. They don't do Duck's Breath stuff that often, right? What's the last time they were Duck's Breath as a group? Their 40th anniversary. That's right. <laughs> in, yeah. In what, uh, did they do something? Yeah, they did something in 2015. Okay. Um, okay. 40th anniversary. And they said that's absolutely it. Yeah. Which is, um, it's totally going to be a lie. When it's their 50th anniversary, they're going to do a thing. I'm sure. 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 I hope so. But they have they have not actually been like... Uh, a touring thing since about 1989. But. Right, 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 right. The, you know, I, I what's interesting, so when I interviewed, so I, if you guys haven't heard, I interviewed Jim Turner, I interviewed Merle Kessler separately, both very different stories. If I remember correctly, Fire Sign was something of an influence on Merle, but not at all on Jim. Jim's like, they're not my thing. So, uh, but what's interesting is you could still hear it, um, they're kind of fire sign at three quarter speed. They are not like pa 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 pa. They are not everything running into one another. They're very, uh, you know, they've designated a track for a sketch, and and they move on. Um, but okay, for when did you first discover them? Because I first discovered them probably through you because of your blog. Because I'm sure you cleaned up all of their records. Yeah, I guess I did. Um, wow, how did I discover them? Um the ebay must have been involved i can't remember Mm -hmm. why i was uh motivated to buy uh a copy of the this album that we're going to talk about out of season which came out in 1980 Mm -hmm. um just was on a list of things uh to get that i knew something uh was might be happening there um but didn't know what Mm -hmm. i'd be getting into comedy albums just for the sake of finding the really interesting ones the way you do when you Mm -hmm. know the big you, you grow up on Steve Martin and Monty Python. And then in college, I discovered Firesign. After that, I wondered, well, um, you know, who's left? What can I do? I started, I think I, I that was when I bought uh, the Stevens and Gritnick albums, which are both yes. pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I figured out um, who uh, Del Close was yeah. and, and got both of those albums, the Do It Yourself Psychoanalysis Kitten and How to Speak Hip, which he did with uh, mm-hmm. John Brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ducks was just another thing that was uh, on the list. Uh, I, I feel like you mentioned many things. First of all, I feel I should point out people should go listen to my interview with with uh, with Joy, uh, Joy Gridnick, because um, holy shit, was that an insane <laughs> episode? Uh, Excellent. She- She's a weird lady. And also when you find out that their catalog is literally thousands of things deep because they did stuff just for radio and they did it for, uh, you know, it was all ephemeral. Uh, you get very, 
you wonder how she's still functioning because she's still doing this shit all the time and um i don't know side note just go apparently this have you seen uh, have you seen the del close documentary with james urbaniak playing del close in it no damn it i don't have that service i've <laughs> I, seen a clip from what's it, it on which one is it on uh, isn't it on apple oh well shit i just signed up for that i should go watch it then i'm i'm a dick for not having watched it oh you totally should no i've yeah. seen like a couple of minutes from it i think uh, mm-hmm. james put up a clip on his on oh. his twitter okay good well we should have him on to talk about talk about del close because he's a good choice it would not have occurred to me immediately that you should cast james urbaniak because i was thinking not long ago somebody needs to make a movie about about del close because he was weird uh everybody knows he was an asshole but he was also seemingly a weird genius and uh one of those asshole geniuses who wasn't like a monster but just a dick <laughs> like so i'm fascinated right no oh my god james was born to play him yeah the moment yeah. you see him it's like he, he owns him instantly that's it's so good that's amazing <laughs> Sorry, uh, that is me getting us distracted. Uh, this is no, like absolutely. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stevens and Gridding was another uh, comedy <laughs> duo that I discovered in college, and mm-hmm. yes, they did a huge amount of stuff for radio. They did yeah. have just the two actual LPs, I think, yeah. that survived. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. No, I think you're right, I, and I think I, I have them, the two of them, somewhere. I found the other one the other day. Didn't realize I own both of them. Um, but they're weird cuts off of their, their radio shit, which has, by the way, be- many times been credited to other people, which is one of those things that I find very strange. Yeah, um, yeah, that definitely happens. This is strictly sketch. And when I say strictly sketch, I mean, it is not is ex- is not experimental uh, in the way of fire sign. I will say I won't say there's no experimental stuff. In fact, the opening of side two is one of my favorite sketches I've ever heard. Once we get to it, um, <laughs> it is That's beautiful. It is yeah. beautiful. Um, but it's not as experimental um, is pretty strictly stay uh, a pretty strictly sketch all born of stage performance a ton of stage performance they've such a similar arc to you know a lot of sketch groups of a certain period anywhere from the Marx Brothers up to Firesign it was all mm-hmm. like let's let's improvise let's work some shit out on stage although if I remember correctly Jim told me there wasn't a lot of improv if I'm not mistaken I feel like they were pretty heavy on the scripting. You're right. The writing sessions were improv uh, 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 marathons. Mm-hmm. When they were on stage, they pretty much did not improvise at all. They were very much like fire sign in that way. Yeah, that's so fascinating to me. I that's... guess this, this this might be the part where I should just jump in and give the little. No, you should. I just I keep trying to fill it'll... air like an idiot. Hit me. It'll be it'll be the thing that I hope sort of explicates how they became who they were. Mm-hmm. And I also hope none of them ever listen to this because this is the first time I've tried to put together a capsule <laughs> history of the duck's breath. And a lot of this is going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as I can tell, you got your what duck's breath was, was five guys and and their manager, Steve Baker. You've got uh, Leon Martel and Bill Allard. They were both originally from Vermont. Merle Kessler, who grew up in both of the Dakotas and then mm-hmm. went to Minnesota for high school. Uh, Dan Coffey came from St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Jim Turner was born and bred in Des Moines. I think he lived there all the way into his early 20s. Mm-hmm. And these five guys uh, had had theater backgrounds where they grew up and they all, they all came together at the University of Iowa in Iowa City. Bill and Leon and Merle and Dan were all there to get MFAs in directing and or writing mm-hmm. merle was the heaviest writer of the group and bill and leon were the heaviest 
directors, I guess, that were most interested in, in, in directing. Dan doing both. And Jim was just this weirdo clown and they found, they found Jim. Mm -hmm. And uh, th when, when the five met, it was, um, it, it was comedy at, at first sight. And I think one or two of them had a bartender job mm -hmm. and got them work as a comedy act. And uh, they needed a name. So uh, Merle thought up Duck's Breath Mystery Theater in about five seconds, I think. <laughs> He's been asked the story of where that name com came from two trillion times. Sure. Uh, so who knows uh, at this point? But I think he, he literally just, well, that sounds funny. And he turned around and there it was. And he put it on the poster and that, they, they had their group name. Mm -hmm. um, they started off at a club called the Boulevard Room in mm -hmm. February of 75. They had their first play, a Cliff Notes Hamlet. By March, they had another pre another play, Frank Iowa's Magic Notebook, mm -hmm. a musical hist a musical history of Iowa, from prehistory to the to the to the present. In April, they had their their uh, Castaneda parody, The Teachings of Don Herbert. Mm -hmm. uh, in May, they had a Midwestern Night's Dream. Their Shakespeare parody, and they, they and and about this time they start uh, playing at a place called Gabe and Walker's, mm -hmm. which was a combination blues club, country club, and gay club, depending on what night. Amazing. Uh, in June they have a new play, The Blob Grows Up. <laughs> they have two. They have three new plays actually. Blob Grows Up, Tarzan Died for Your Sins, <laughs> The Duck of the Baskervilles. Mm -hmm. And the Johnny serial, Johnny goes away, Johnny's still gone, Johnny after bedtime. Um, they're having such a good time. Uh, over the summer, Dan Coffey goes to LA for mm -hmm. a job or for study. He doesn't have his MFA yet, so he comes back in the fall. And they keep going. In October, they've got their new play, Gonad the Barbarian. <laughs> they've got Buck Nelson's Space Convention. They've got a wistful Elvis and they've got a cliff notes Bible. I think they did for the oh first time God. there. So Steve Baker is this journalist and he's writing for the Quad City Times and he writes this piece about the ducks. He's got this big time journalism background and he likes the ducks so much. He, he, he says, I gotta be your manager. And he does. And they are all having such a good time that they, um, they, they think it's time to take this thing to another city. I can't remember the names of the other places where they thought they might go and didn't decide to go. Maybe uh, the Twin Cities was one option, New York City was one option, but in the end they decided let's take it to San Francisco, which was a pretty good move because geographically, San Francisco isn't just San Francisco, as we all know, it is also everything up and down the coast from Marin to Monterey. Mm -hmm. And you, if you're a group, you can do day trips to all of those places. Mm -hmm. So by by now, they're really, if you had to figure out what they were, you'd, you'd call them saloon theater. Uh -huh. They are guys who have no problem going into a club and entertaining drunks. Uh, and they can do it because their aesthetic is $1 props, $1 wardrobe. Mm -hmm. It's a thing you can do at home in your basement. Yep. And they're all inspired by Rocky and Bullwinkle and they do their act deliberately in places so that the audience can, if they want to, walk out. <laughs> These, uh, the, the, you don't know who you're gonna be entertaining. It's gonna be, it's gonna be really smart comedy, but it's also gonna be really broad. And if <laughs> not all the audiences are gonna get it. So they, they wanted, they specifically wanted to perform in places where the audience could just bail if they wanted to. Yeah. So it's 1976 and they decide 
they are going to drive to San Francisco, which they do in January in a 1967 Impala. Mm -hmm. And they find a place to live and they get on food stamps. Holy shit. They do their first gigs in February uh, at a place called, I think, uh, I think, I think their first gigs were at the Rush House in Marin. Mm-hmm. They are immediate. Everybody, you know, the the promoters get it right away. They're immediately working at the intersection in North Beach. They're at the other cafe, in the Panhandle in San Francisco, and all these clubs. And I'm going to name these are places they went back to again and again and again because uh, the 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 uh, managers love them. The cafe mm-hmm. and the crowds love them. They're at Mabuhe Gardens in Jackson Square in San Francisco. Later becomes a famous punk club. Mm-hmm. They're at the Shady Grove and the Hate. Um, and this is where things get interesting because by May, Merle had written a play called Saints mm-hmm. and it was, it was opening previews in New York. Merle goes to New York and he starts shepherding the play, you know, doing rewrites as necessary. Mm-hmm. The group stays together. I mean, this is the part where the group, they, by all, uh, um, all things being equal, they should have broken up at this point because right. Merle's already left town who they're desperate for work um they've just arrived in a place where they thought they would be hugely popular and very necessary and they were neither <laughs> and then you know slowly slowly growing into the kind of group where people want to have them back um they're um but Merle comes back in July and they're playing the Freight and Salvage. They're playing the Long Branch. They're playing the Live Oak Theater. Now they're at Wheeler Auditorium at UC Berkeley. Um, and there's footage of these guys playing on the steps of a public building. They uh-huh. did that a few times before they got uh, carded, handed their card by the police because they didn't know they had to get permits. Oh they start getting God. permits. They're still playing on steps in you know patio places. There's there's whole movie footage of them doing their oh, famous more than a box bit, uh-huh. uh, which is literally the five of them and a box playing, uh, passing the box back and forth. And it is a screaming good time in about two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just doing that in a patio area in front of a bunch of random people. Um, in August, they played on a bill with the Ramones at the Savoy Tivoli in North Beach. Wow. Jim did his Randy character, mm-hmm. and someone in the bottle, uh, someone in the audience threw a bottle at him. Oh, fuck. That was their Ramones experience, which of course mm-hmm. they turned into the bit that you hear on the album, uh-huh. uh, the Maroons. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in in September they're back out of town uh, doing the Iowa Playwrights Festival uh, they do the West Dakota in Berkeley on a gig with Sylvester the queen of disco who of course did You Make Me Feel Mighty Real um, they're doing gigs with a, a group a funny pop group called Little Roger and the Goosebumps and near the end of the year they are, the press is finally starting to notice them they become a bona fide uh, nightclub act by the end of the year, they had played in 70 different venues, including the boarding house, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've survived their first year, 77. They upgrade to a 71 Ford station wagon. They're gigging all over the upper and lower bay. They're playing local colleges. Dean Jones wants them to write for him. They are interviewed by KSAM for the first time, which is a rock station. They are starting to tour out of state. They're going at, you know down to San Diego, and they got up as far as Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And they're um, still, just to interrupt for a brief moment, they're still just doing a show at a time. They're not doing sketch because this record is sketch, but they're doing their plays. 
they're well, funny, they're funny doing plays. A pl- they're doing a play and they start the show. They start most of their shows with a series of shorts. They will okay. come on and do, you know, what, what the, what the sketch comedy people would, you know, just call blackouts. Mm-hmm, they'll do mm-hmm. short bits. They'll do slightly longer short bits, but the uh, anchor of the evening will be, they will pick a play from, okay. from, from their repertoire and, and, um, They'd have they'd advertise that, but then they would start, you know, auditioning a bunch of plays, to, uh, shorter bits to see what got laughs. Okay, that makes um, sense. Dean Jones wants them to write some stuff for him. They are uh, they do two they record two pieces to for uh, NBC's Great American Laugh Off. Mm-hmm. So they're doing two pieces for TV. One of them is the Maroons, which mm-hmm. is great and short and shouty mm-hmm. and 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 wonderful, which you know about. And then they do a piece called Sex Talk. And I don't think there's any video that's um, available of this online. So I'm just going to, and there's another reason why I hope that the Ducks never hear this, Mm -hmm. because I'm going to do you the first page. Okay. (laughs) We got Sex Talk. Bishop Rick is seen in the assembly hall. Good morning, second grade boys. You second grade girls out there, get out of here. You're supposed to be down in the jungle gym with Sister Corita. I'm Bishop Rick Sullentrop, and I'm here to talk to you about sexual kinetics with the help of Sister Mundy, Mr. Johnson. Sister Mundy, Mr. Johnson enters, and two of her fifth grade boys, they enter. We're going to show you some, we're going to show you second graders how to have babies. Now, I know it might not seem important now, but it's just like camping. You figure out what you need. And then you cut it in half. Okay, Cornice, I want you to play the spermazoid. Yo! Cynthia, I want you to play the ovamite. Okay. And Sister Mundy, you'll play the Holy Spirit. Fine. All right, now let's begin with normal hygienic conception. This is what we this is what went on inside your mom, dad nine months before you came into the big picture. The ovamoid patiently waits in the utopian tubes. Cynthia is the ovamoid. He has a plastic egg on his belt, which he points to. The spermazoid enters, seeking the ovamoid. Cornus with styrofoam vampire teeth wanders about <laughs> looking for Cynthia and the Holy Spirit, Virgil to the spermatozoids, Dante helps the spermazoid finds the ovamoid. S- Sister Mundy grabs Cornus, points out Cynthia. Contact is made. Cornus and Cynthia slap hands together. Hawk, yep. And nine months later, baby city. <laughs> Cynthia pulls a little squeak doll from his shirt and throws it in the air. The three players bow. <clears throat> It, it it goes on for another for another two pages. Oh um, guess which one of these skits got cut by NBC? Ah, aha! Uh-huh. Oh no! Uh, so bad. that was that was pretty brilliant, and uh, that's that's that was their 1977, basically. Wow! Um, in '78, they started doing ads for the first time, mm-hmm. and these these are so charming. Uh-huh. One of the great things that I got to do was go through all of their open reels and just digitize everything that they saved. And they started doing local spots. Um, I mean, if you if you got the same reaction to Fire Signs, Jack Poet ads that mm-hmm. most of the people did listening to them, you'll know how how well people just started loving ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they'd identify themselves ducks breath for bam or sometimes they would just do this spot mm-hmm. and and nobody would quite know who they were but they were doing bits for bam they were doing things for a, a clothing store called baby and company the berkeley barb jeff's jeans vic young sporting goods satisfied ear record store 
And I think this is about the time when they first met with KSAN for the first time. And there's mm -hmm. a guy in there, a producer named Rick Sadel, mm -hmm. who uh, produced some stuff for them, including the album that we're going to talk about. Right. He asked them to do a serial. And they do a serial of 30 three-minute episodes, Roto the Monster from Space. And it airs in June and July. And it airs three times a day. And it was so popular that it started getting serialized to other stations. They've got they got some new shows now. The Winky Todd, Everybody's a Star Show. The Lost Book of Moo. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Cliff Notes Bible. Love it. Uh, they are touring all over the country now. Arizona, Nebraska, Missouri, Washington, Wisconsin, Chicago, Oregon, Utah. They make a demo film and they start shopping it to TV. BAM tells them they can get the Ducks free studio time in some of the studios in the Bay Area. Uh, which they start taking them up on. They record some of their first bits. Uh, Jim Turner and Bill Griffith meet, the cartoonist Bill who does Zippy. And oh, yeah. Jim, Jim starts playing Zippy at Duck's Breath Gigs. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and there's uh, <laughs> Jim saved some of the three by five cards that uh, Bill Griffith made for him just as examples of insane shit to say on stage. Mm -hmm. We've got, I've, I've, I've got them all scanned here. Is a tattoo real like a curb or a battleship? What can I blow up? Little girls are taking showers behind trees. <laughs> I represent a sardine or a bus. An Italian is combing his hair in downtown Des Moines. Excuse me, but I have an appointment. Uh, oh, imagine, imagine that going on for about ten minutes on stage. He mm -hmm. was, he was obviously instantly popular. Yeah. Also, at some point, I, I need to. I, I we've got oblique strategies. The, I, the oblique strategies were known at this time, I think, by a lot of artists. The Ducks made their own oblique strategies cards. Mm -hmm. Let's write a, a song about sensible shoes. That's one card. Make up five words and their meanings. See who can hold their breath the shortest. See who can hold their breath the longest. See who can hold their breath the middlest. <laughs> Everybody leave for 10 minutes and come back with a prop you find on the street. Write them into what you're working this this is brilliant it just goes on for pages i won't i won't do all of these they're just they're they're too good and some of these turned into uh some of their songs when we get to 1979 we get to the single that they did which includes a song called household appliances that literally comes from one of the oblique strategies card they're going to do a song about household appliances and he did uh, i think they got this uh single made because they were um interviewed by a um a sympathetic soul uh bill knight at the uh, Prairie Sun, which was out of Peoria, Illinois. And he hooked them up with uh, Rumble Records in Peoria, mm -hmm. who, uh, calling themselves the Friends of Duck's Breath, put out the first Duck's Breath single, uh, When Girls Collide, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and uh, which is on the album, and uh, Household Appliances, which is also on the album. The, the uh, 79 is about the time when they start recording this album. And mm -hmm. uh, they, let's see. They're, they've got some new pieces. Uh, sonata, they're, they're doing some new stage pieces here. Um, I just I'm just going to describe one to you because it's never going to be on an album of any kind. Obviously, it's uh, their their Bergman parody, Sonata My Fault. Uh -huh. 
in the famous image from uh, Persona, I think it is, there's uh, one of his, one of Bergman's actors is looking straight at the camera and the other is in profile and they are right next to each other, you know, or looked at orthographically. So that looks like one half of the face is, is covered and the other half is looking straight ahead. It's a famous iconic image. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Imagine three members of Duck's Breath going up to a member in the front row of the audience and just doing that. <laughs> they're not even, they're maybe a foot ahead above. If, if the audience is on the floor and Ducks are maybe 12 inches above the, the audience's head at that point. So literally uh -huh. probably, the, probably only about six people in the first and second row can see what they're doing oh, while the ducks explain to the rest of the audience what they're doing What's and then they that? move on to the next thing <laughs> that, when i did when i heard that described i was going yeah you guys you guys own my soul at this point <laughs> um but they start doing bits for npr the mm -hmm. satellite program development fund they almost do a record deal with somebody called solid smoke but this is about the time when they actually start getting advice from phil austin and david osman of fireside okay who would start advising them on their records and osman says i don't like the language in this contract and they didn't go with it so they went, wow. they went in the end with Richard Foose at Rhino, mm -hmm. uh, who, if you look at the album cover, you'll see that it is on Duck's Breath Records right. uh, with thanks to Richard Foose. Basically, it's a Rhino record. Okay. They, they, they did the manufacturing. Interesting. Okay. That's funny. Now, that's so strange. Now, I had a few questions. Do you, do you know, how much do you know about the guys who did? Well, I want to get into the content of the record. However, I really love the cover and I love their logo very much. How much do you know about the artists slash photographers who have worked on this stuff? This is terrible. I can't remember the artist's name, but they, I think they, uh, they scored that duck logo in mm -hmm. uh, 1978-ish uh -huh. uh -huh. and it's, it stayed with them ever since. His name is Greg Scott. I'm going oh, good. Of, oh, yeah, yes. he's credited. That's right. Yeah, he is. He is. It's a great logo. It's a very good robot, spacey, ducky logo, which is great. It's a very it's good, good logo. Um, and then the, the, the front cover. So it says the front cover was by. Oh, now I lost it. It's probably on the back here. I'm looking online. Um, art design, Laura Dunham. Thanks, Laura. Um, very helpful uh, of you to do that. Where the hell did the cover fucking photo go? Well, I've lost it, Taylor. That's... My management cover photo and hand tinting by Bennett Hall. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, they went to wherever that famous landmark is in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And, um, one of them tells the story that there was a uh, local theater company that, is, that was doing some really good costuming shit yeah, for yeah. one of their productions, and they had to get rid of the costumes fast. Uh -huh. And I think Ducks bought them all. Oh my god! Uh, for like maybe fifty bucks, and so they take these five of these great uh, Shakespearean costumes, put them on, and jump in that pond, yeah. and uh, keep doing photographs until they get kicked out. Comedy theater people are hoarders, um, more so than I think regular theater people. Yes, I, I will say this: being involved in a drinking game, we have the same dollar prop, dollar costume aesthetic. Although sometimes we'll spend more money than we should, mm -hmm. um, but. You ask Natalie who started the show and she has an entire storage facility dedicated to all the shit from that show. And it's also, it does. You, you sometimes get the fucking off cuts from other people's shit just, just to function or because like, Oh, but don't throw that away. I'll, I'll use it, which you may never use, but if you'll you choose. get stuff because it's beautiful because you mm -hmm. think you might need it or mm -hmm. you get mm -hmm. stuff that's completely random and you just, you write something around it. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's really a back and forth between you and those inanimate objects. Yeah. 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 
Um, sorry, I interrupted your history. I'm sure there's more. No, to no, tell that's about that's, that's it. I brought you that up today. We, okay. we can we can definitely go into the album proper. Well, then my first question um, is maybe not the first question on the record, but I'd like to ask you, what is taconite? <laughs> it uh, comes from the ground there. <laughs> what is taconite? Well, try to imagine a world without taconite. <laughs> This this is hard to do. Oh, uh, it's so good. There's there's, yeah. there's nothing bad on this record. I'm going to start there. There's nothing bad on this record. There, there might really be some isn't. things that are a bit slower than the rest, but I don't care. Like it's all functionally funny and sounds good. It's mixed this well. Is, this is all so good. And mm -hmm. once once you get out of the once once you uh, f first thing on the record is Meet Mr. Silly, which is yes. um does not have a punchline and will throw you mm -hmm. if you're expecting some other kind of album but that's a, yeah. they they got me instantly with that because it was just so <laughs> it's so strangely dark uh -huh. the, the uh, children's show host is suddenly made he's going completely existential and mm -hmm. the kids are just laughing screaming laughing at him mm -hmm. so as a guy who's into you know uh dark <laughs> dark comic theater um that's i was on board right away yeah but yes the taconite is the taconite bit is one of those absolute killer 500 mile an hour skits yeah it's just a, a constant bed of laughs the uh i will also say if you get the the lp which is i always recommend you do is it's not hard to find honestly um um or if you go to taylor's website um it's probably still up there i'm assuming um, but you, there are little, um, historical blurbs about some of, well, all the sketches, there's at least a little bit of something, but some of them have a nice little fake history to go along with them because, uh, Mr. Silly was on the D Dumont network, which come on, a Dumont network reference is always funny. I think it's, it's impossible for that not to be <laughs> all, funny. Yes, absolutely. Always Dumont network. If you mention the Dumont network, I'm mm -hmm. going to be on your side right away. Mm-hmm. Um, the <laughs> so there's meet mr silly then there's the history of taconite which seems to be responsible for everything uh pretty much um <laughs> there's too much i couldn't write down like i was trying to catch up and like write the stuff i found funny but by the time i'd written down the setup uh that was already funny i didn't get to the rest of it um but i mean it's from the minnesota land invasion company <laughs> where you <laughs> are a problem for us for us, ah, it's <laughs> you know, so everything good. About, everything about it is brilliant. From the from the initial setup of it being an educational film to mm -hmm. the to the history, <laughs> Henrietta, there's something coming out of the ground there, and then the three <laughs> people coming in with with <laughs> with uh, contracts for mm -hmm. with with a car, forge contracts, and a dream, <laughs> and it just everything about it is. Um, it, it works. Oh, yeah. man, it works like clockwork. And then we go into the Taconite factory and we discover the Taconite is made in a secret uh, uh, box you can't see into. People are chanting, Taconite, 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 Taconite. <laughs> and <laughs> just the, the, I'm, uh, when, when it's delivered, is delivered in the form of every product in a household, and Leon comes back with the immortal line, God bless you, Taconite man. <laughs> it's just unstoppable. There's so much, I, you know, you, again, it's, um, well, when I talked to Jim Turner about it, I was like, I was like, look, you guys are, for me, it's like a more approachable fire sign. It was easier for me because it's not as dense. That is one big thing. It's mm -hmm. not as dense. Mm -hmm. 
re-listening funny every time you're just not going to discover a thousand jokes and under jokes and like a million little things go it's just it's not that attention to detail because no one has ever done that ever with maybe one exception mm-hmm. um with maybe one exception and that is just a giant tribute to fire sign anyway um so i think we, i think we both know which one you're referencing yeah it, it's it's it is uh an, a record i'm angry i didn't make it doesn't matter uh fuck yep. you guys fuck you guys yep. it's really funny um the uh the maroons is i mean it, this is i don't know this okay actually I, i'll point something out the maroons feels like a stan freeberg bit but funnier because i don't i don't hate stan freeberg but his angry at music sketches are always like god you're an, you're just being an angry old man he's I honestly never... angry and just di- and just hates the music that he's yeah. doing <laughs> yeah whereas it's only so far you can you can go with him really, yeah that. yeah and so which is why i like his history the, the history of america that's great that's that that's great there's less bitterness this reminds me of it but it is also like them just like literally saying the names of instruments and shit it's so <laughs> fucking stupid it's so yeah. dumb this is the stuff I grew up doing as a kid, I feel like. And uh, again, they get to commit it to vinyl and it's beautiful. It really is kind of the beautiful aspect of their whole aesthetic, which is they they all came from serious theater backgrounds. And I mean, the, 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 the reason that they became a group was that they had massive simpatico, but they also knew that as serious theater people, they were just instantly going to be doomed. Get your MFA, go out there, starve, do something with people you probably won't like in a tiny budget, and everything's going to be so serious. <laughs> Whereas these guys all liked Rocky and Bullwinkle mm-hmm. and DIY ethos all the way. That's yeah. how they stayed together for as long as they did because they didn't need million-dollar sets. They were just having fun making each other laugh. So this record wouldn't have happened, though, if they hadn't been offered free studio time, is what I'm understanding. I think you're right. This so would not have happened unless they got that free studio time. They could. Uh, uh, they took months and just. Well, when we get up to, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. uh, when we get up to another bit, mm-hmm. when um, the interesting part of the aspect of getting free studio time and how they took that to its log- logical conclusion. Ooh, okay. But anyway. Okay. But um, um, <laughs> Bomba the Jungle Boy yeah. is. Um, there's two bits. Mm-hmm. On, on the LP, there were four originally, and it was oh. a full serial, which will come out at some point. Um, but it's, uh, it's it's basically just what it sounds like, a radio serial about Bomba the Jungle Boy and how he's coming to Missouri to stay mm-hmm. with a, uh, uh, a normal family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know, Missouri trees, they're not the same. <laughs> He misses the jungle. What can you say? And yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, I think that, I think Dan Coffey must, must have written most of this. Uh, mm-hmm. Dan has been described. I just had lunch with Leon for the first time and we mm-hmm. got a great uh, perspective on the other guys in the group. I had not ever met Dan. Dan mm-hmm. is bizarro. He will yeah. just, he's, he's the exploding Flint bizarro rock that will throw out weird, weird shit. Um, and also the the general impression that I'm getting from the guys is that they will rehearse together, they'll write stuff, they'll bring stuff to the group. But I think every line of dialogue that comes from a person's mouth came from that person's head. So mm-hmm. they will all write together. They will have a shared, you know, 
point of view of where the sketch needs to go, but uh -huh. every guy in the group writes his own dialogue. Wow. Okay, that's fucking, that's weird. I have never heard of that that idea in my life. I love well, it. Well, that was true in 1978 in an article. That they, uh -huh. in, uh -huh. in an interview. I don't know uh, if things might have changed. Sure, but... But yeah, it's very, um, very weird. much the guys would own their own words, really. Wow. When it comes to, when it comes to writing. That is a... Say what you will about like co-writing and trusting the other guys to write their own sketches on their own, like Python did. Um, to me, there's a lot more trust in like everybody's in the room. I'm gonna trust everybody to stay on the same page while also being unique and let's commit all this. That's trust. That is trust and um, beyond experimental to me. I've just never. Maybe there are other groups who've done it, but I. It's not a way I've ever heard of writing. I love it. It is really interesting that they decided to do that. It's all part of the ethos of the the saloon theater too. It's mm -hmm. just, they're being. These are four. These are five really really smart guys who are all who are. Not, you know, literally in 78, part of their advertising campaign was dare to be stupid. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. This would be the stupidest, silliest, ins insane stuff on stage, but it will also be uh, incredibly smart and have uh, a background of knowledge of other theater that um, obviously puts them ahead of Cheech and Chong and a lot mm -hmm. of uh, um the more the more popular groups that would go out and do shit these were guys who would attract a smart audience make an audience smarter and um that's that's a big reason i like them yeah no that's fair they uh, i uh, <laughs> uh what's the next one oh yeah okay so <laughs> <laughs> bang the mo slowly which <laughs> is who the fuck's idea was this period it's great the voices aren't even all that accurate but that's not really the gag the yeah it's why don't you walk the audience through it taylor because... <laughs> we where it's 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 um you know think playhouse 90 but just for radio and it's uh -huh. it's it's bang the drum slowly but it's about the stooges we have to come and get, we have to rescue the, the spirit of Mo. Mo is down. He's in the hospital and his other stooges have to co come and try and cheer him up. And uh, they, they sound the stooge alarm. And the, 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 all the fifth stooges come from all over the United States. Curly, Mo, Mo Curly, Curly Shemp, Shemp Curly Joe, Mo, Mo, Mo Shemp, all came running to, and they all come and cheer him up and, mm -hmm. and uh, fists and fingers uh, go flying. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that you can. They got Thomas in the pajamas. I got. I got sleazy feet. Leave me alone. <laughs> I yeah. Firesign. Firesign would not have done this bit. No. Firesign and ducks have a lot of interesting overlaps, but mm -hmm. this is you know ducks would just burn down the stage you were on mm -hmm. if it would get a laugh. Yeah. Um, they they uh yeah they had they they would go really really stupid and yeah, yeah, yeah. and get so many good laughs from it mm -hmm. i this is what's i mean the, the more the further we, i get into this record the further i'm just like i mean i'm hoping there's an opportunity at some point to physically see them live i would love to see them live um are there recording video what's out there video wise of them as nothing's out there video but there is an archive there's okay. a lot of video in the archive this is the Good. part where the, you and i both know too much far too much about which is that if you have a tape archive and it's vhs's or umats 
you need to find a way to either steal yourself to the idea of, you know, you're going to buy your own deck. You're going to take your chances. You're going to hope the deck doesn't break yep. and you're going to all bung it all in at, at uh, ProRes 422 into Final Cut 7 mm -hmm. and hope for the best and hope that you can hope, hope it isn't too damaged. Yeah. Uh, too many you know, static bursts on it. Mm -hmm. Maybe get somebody to do color correction on it or you spend a huge amount of money and you get it done professionally. And sure. this is the this is the conundrum that Ducks is in. They have this fantastic archive mm -hmm. of UMATs and VHSs, and I haven't seen most of it. Now okay. there's a little bit of this on YouTube. You can see bits. I think you can see just a clip of them doing the Osmonds doing "I Want to Be Sedated," mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, things like that. And the, there's there's versions of you know back in '78 or '79. I think they did their first demo tape. Um, and oh, who is the gentleman who is MC Front a lot? Oh yeah, uh, I apologize for not remembering his actual name. Actually, maybe I, I don't know it now that I think about it because he goes by that everywhere. So I maybe I, I don't apologize. Know I apologize for not remembering him. Mm -hmm. God damn it. Uh, we both are apologetic as hell, Mr. Uh, MC Fernalot. Mm -hmm. He, as a small child, is mm -hmm. cut to at the end of a Ducks Brett skit uh, when they did their demo video. He was one, he was a kid growing up in uh, the Bay at the time, and his parents brought him to a whole bunch of Ducks Brett shows, and uh, he, he would gift them with drawings of the Ducks in performance. And uh, at the end, in, the, in their demo tape, I think, they do more than a box and there's no audience and they cut to the reverse angle and it's just this kid on a tricycle. <laughs> so there, there are bits that exist out there, but yeah. oh my God, I, what I'm, what I'm really trying to uh, help them out with in any way I can is to get some of these old shows uh, in, in a way that people can see and buy. Yeah. That'd be nice. There's so I'm assuming then there's not a lot of like uh, film, just video videos what we're dealing with just video Damn. although if you want to jump to like 1987 1988 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there was a 12 episode 13 episode dr science half hour oh, yeah right right right. that's true that's true you did mention that and oh god i want to see it mm -hmm. i want to see this stuff i want to see it i want to see it we all want to see it i can't uh, see it it's a problem mm. bastards i don't know who's the bastards the world i guess is that who i'm calling bastards life i think fate mm -hmm. but anyway there there, there are probably there's there's video of some of these uh bits mm -hmm. some of the bits that you hear on the album there is video of and um they're like a, every other children group they would have a shtick and they would have certain things that they would do again and again uh as they you know go on on tour across the states what are some of the things in here that they would do um, well, if we if we go on to um, <laughs> uh, if we if we can move off uh, to uh, Fuzzy Squirrel in the North, sure, a, a very <laughs> short book report, a brilliant book report from Merle Kessler. That's mm -hmm. actually part of a longer piece, which I hope people will be able to hear at some point. Oh, okay. Uh, where everybody, uh, it's it takes place. In, it's a bit that takes place in a classroom. Mm -hmm. The teacher is teaching English played by Jim Turner, and the other four guys are students, and they all have to watch. <laughs> They have to. They put on a Cheech and Chong record, and have to do a bit of creative writing while they're listening to the record. And the record sounds like this: Dave, 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 Dave. 
hey. <laughs> and once this record is done, they, they, the kids read their, their poems. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Merle didn't have time to read a poem. He'd uh, write a poem. He mm-hmm. only had that book of parts. So that's what was cut out of. Oh, my God. A comedy bit. album Before referencing another comedy album? Has that happened even? This is so annoying. Oh, my God. I need to hear this. Jesus Christ, Taylor. That's so yes. good. Referencing uh, so, it and obviously tearing it down to the ground because that's amazing. Just well, let me just let me just assure everybody that I don't want to tease you with things that you'll mm. never be able to hear. As archivist, I promise these the things I describe that are unreleased will be released. I just can't say when sure. or where. Of course, no fair. That's absolutely fair. That sounds fantastic. Damn it, that's good. But hey. uh, that's that's a, that's a very a, a very funny bit. That's very good. I don't have a lot of, uh, as I explained, had a power outage uh, as I was trying to listen to this. So I, some of my notes disappeared. So mm-hmm. I then, my, my notes then skip to the, the Transvestite Farmers Association, but we can talk about whatever you like. I just don't have. Well, let me take it. Let me take a short tour through soup. Um, Please. When we talked yes. about how they were doing, they had free studio time in studios. Mm-hmm. A thing they liked to do at certain points was just go in Mm-hmm. and have their producer play random sound effects records and music. Gosh, what does this sound like? This is exactly what Firesign did back in their days of radio, and they mm-hmm. got a lot of the same results. They would just improvise to these records and just think up shit. And uh, some of it just killed, and most yeah. of it was just like bad piano practice. <laughs> but they would, uh, they'd, they'd, they'd tear up a lot of this free studio time doing this, and the producer either loved them or hated them for it. Yeah. But Soup is part of like um there's some good there's like a good eight minute cut of Mm -hmm. soup which is just stuff they improvised randomly on top of music and sound effects this uh soup itself doesn't really make any sense Uh and it 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 can't Mm -hmm. it won't because it didn't exist until it came out of their mouths (laughs) they're saying random things the way they describe it on the back of the record is uh number nine number nine number nine for all you beatles fans so obviously this is this is just the the random funny like it's like three seconds or something of just Uh random shit that made them laugh and then they cut Uh instantly out of it into Mm -hmm. into something else when they realize when they when they know they've worn out their welcome Mm -hmm. and the thing they cut to is caffeine zombie yes which is a leon martel bit which he did for npr um, oh okay. Seventy nine, I think, was the first year they started doing things for NPR, and this was um, one of those bits, mm-hmm. which I do not have any notes on. All I remember is it being a song about being a caffeine zombie. If I don't have my notes, I'm fucking lost. This is the problem. No, Senka, thank you. It's <laughs> cappuccino time. It's a great bit. It's 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 one of his classic all time classic bits. It's mm-hmm. good. But then we then, as you as you say, we go up to the Transvestite Farmers Association. It starts as as a skit. They're just Mm -hmm. two good. It's Merle and Leon who come on stage and drag and start talking about how they are drag Aggies. (laughs) Transvestite Farmers Association of Argo Fay, Iowa, born out of the night when there was a prom and but all the women were on the basketball team. They're all out of town. And their coach said, you fellas, go get some dresses from the shop. We'll have the biggest goddamn prom this goddamn town's ever seen. And it was. And uh, the drag aggie movement leads to guys doing uh, their actual farming mm-hmm. in drag, mm-hmm. which is how the coach dies. <laughs> and then they do their song, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, drag aggie th- anthem. Mm-hmm. 
which is uh, heartbreaking and and wonderful and mm-hmm. uh, heartfelt. And they they go straight out of that into um, into household appliances. Uh-huh. So this bit was recorded live on stage uh-huh. um, in seventy eight or seventy nine. But after they start into the uh, the second song, they fade into the single okay. or the single version of the song, mm-hmm. uh, which, as as I said, they did for that uh, that rum, Rumble Records uh, back in the in the previous year, mm-hmm. and um, that's the end of the side. Yeah, and then we go <laughs> side two thing on the whole sca- on the whole fucking record. <laughs> Okay, so who's the voice of the record? Let's start. The there. voice of the record is Leon Martel. It is Leon Martel. Okay. Um, <laughs> anybody could be a record. Drag a needle across your face, and then for you, just lay down <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> You're a, bigger than me, so you should use a steak knife. So He's so excitedly telling you to cut concentric circles or just cut a spiral into your face it's so good this is the best part of his day where he gets to tell the kids how to make circles on their face with the steak knife well of course it hurts the first First time time. (laughs) oh god and it's so quick and so simple and i don't know why i find that so delightfully funny uh i think it's because anytime you directly reference the fact that you're on a record you're going to get my attention because i'm a very simple man but then it goes into that (laughs) And all of a sudden, it's a kid's show, but the most violent kid's show. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's so, pretty so much, good. It's, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Then, uh, we have a, then we have a small uh, a small song out of nowhere. Yeah. I don't know much about this song. It says, yeah, as it says on the back of the album, it's from one of their shows, The Teaching of Don Herbert. But uh-huh. what is literally all there is to this song is there's a whole lot of places I haven't been before and a lot of places wouldn't let me in before but I don't care if I'm sick and growing old I'll just stand right here and dig a hole so on the other guys on the other guys I just like it here mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of perfect mm-hmm. again uh, they, they they have not once overstayed their welcome on this entire record they know how to, they really didn't like they, it's perfectly cut like, cause they're, 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 but even in moments where, uh, they might drag a joke out, it's dragged out at the perfect moment for the, for the perfect <laughs> length. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's mm-hmm. frustra- frustratingly good. I'm, and it's all, I'm assuming then born out of, you know, knowing the timing of a, of a stage show. Cause some people will know the timing of their stage show, but then be like, Oh, but I have the freedom of a record now. I can stretch it out all I want. I can do all I now where fire sign, I think knew they had a record. They're like, well, we can just experiment more with time and experiment more with this. But I feel like these guys still stuck to what they knew worked, uh, on, on stage and said, no, this works. Uh, it'll still work on a record. Let's do it the same length, same kind of beats, relatively the same thing. Is that my feeling anyway? Again, yeah, that's nothing. I think that's, I think that's correct. Half the there's a balance on the record of bits that you can tell that they have been doing live on stage and that have uh, costumes and beats that are mm-hmm. determined by the stage. And then there are things like Taconite and like the thing we're going to talk about, uh, Love Under Par mm-hmm. and Dogman, which are uh, <laughs> you know radio riffs or yeah. and specifically record riffs, which are done at 500 miles an hour and yeah. exquisitely edited. And really well produced in terms of the, um, uh, you know, the the, the background um, sound effects and, and music cues. Mm-hmm. Uh, really tightly edited stuff. 
when we go back to Mr. Silly again, I do not have a note for this, so you're going to have to walk me through this one. I don't remember it. Boy, what are the what are the bits? The first the first Mr. Silly bit is where he's he's given a knock knock joke and it ends in the middle of the joke and he goes into a screaming apoplectic fit about how the puppet hates him. Uh, what's okay, the yeah. second bit? Oh, the, Mr. Silly gets a letter at one point. Letter for you, Mr. Silly. This poses you. You forgot to stamp it. Oh! <laughs> so basically, he, he gets his foot broken for a laugh. That's uh -huh. traditional. Um, what's, what's the next Mr. Silly? He... Um, oh, I can't remember now. I remember the finale. Mm -hmm. The finale is just the kids chanting, hit Mr. Silly. Hit Mr. Silly. Hit Mr. Silly. <laughs> and soon after that episode, as the uh, jacket says, Mr. Silly left the air. <laughs> There's another there. I did find one more Mr. Silly in the archives uh -huh. where uh -huh. we join Mr. Silly at a bar. Oh, and no. he's, he's very, very drunk. Uh, it's pretty good. That'll get out there at some point, too. But I'm sorry. I can't remember what this Mr. Silly bit is. No, please. It's fine. I, I'm the one who should have been taking notes. But... Love under par. Okay, I didn't write the descriptor down, but one of them has aphasia. Correct? Is that? <laughs> and so, golfer. He was a singer with aphasia. Together, they set the world on fire with their love. I think. I think this is a Jim Turner bit. Uh -huh. Those those bits that. Okay, the first voice you hear in Love Under Par is Jim Turner. Okay. So. That's definitely a bit that Jim Turner wrote because there are, um, once you get into the archive of bits that they did for NPR, uh -huh. um, you'll hear, that's how I really figured out their voices because you would hear bits just by Dan Coffey where he's doing mm -hmm. these insane monologues. You do, you'd hear bits by Merle. Uh, the bits by Merle are, are what led to his Ian Scholl's character. Mm -hmm. Dan's bits led to um, Dr. Needleman and then later Dr. Science. Mm -hmm. um, Leon Martell's um, you'd hear his voice in individual bits and Jim Turner um, uh, and Bill obviously would do those bits too and mm -hmm. Jim Turner's bits um, there's a skit that he takes literally two minutes it's a coming soon on 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 this TV station mm -hmm. promo where the two minute promo is how long it takes to describe the bit the mm -hmm. what's coming up next uh -huh. uh, <laughs> where the he's describing the plot so far it takes two minutes and it is it is leaping in a way i'm 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 ruining it by describing it but it leaps <laughs> in a way if you remember um the interstitials in the monty python and the holy grail album mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where eric idol has suddenly has to do uh, uh the story so far bit yeah, yeah, yeah. completely jumps randomly plucking matilda trent on a sticky there hey students and she enforces and she <laughs> Enrico, mafia boss Enrico Fermi, and he and he goes through about a hundred plot points in mm -hmm. ninety seconds. Jim loved doing that. Okay, um, and some of his best bits are like that. Um, but this is this feels a lot like his his part, where he'll just come up with insane made up names mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. things that they're doing. 
movies they've been in he mm-hmm. describes the song they're going to you're the song you're going to hear the hit song love under par that you're going to hear in the movie and then merle merle Custler comes in and sings it love 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 is like a golf ball on the green heads up everyone because love is seldom seen um <laughs> It's 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 pretty unstoppably good. Yeah. But yeah, it's just your basic trailer for a movie about a golf a golfer. <laughs> I don't think you should see him, darling. But daddy, he brings me luck and he carries my clubs. <laughs> it's, it's And then every, every every every, you know, other word that he says is of course the wrong word. <laughs> Pencil, pickle, desk lamp. Just, you know, <laughs> it's a gag that will always work. That will yes. I, infinitely, I think. Infinitely yes. that joke works um what uh oh wait a minute hold on the swami shit i don't have notes on it oh yeah it's a guy pretending to be a swami or thinks he's a swami shit you're gonna have to walk me through it that's he, all i can remember yeah, he's, he's doing both and yeah. there are two other swami bits <laughs> uh this the one that's mm-hmm. on the album is he's just i'm the swami and he's got a ketchup bottle and he says this the the See the spirits move the ketchup and Merle's in the background going, He didn't move the ketchup. You knocked the table. No, I didn't chicken head fart. I got powers. You know, um, and he, at, the, at the end, he knocks him out and says, Can you hear me? Knock twice for yes. Ha! It worked. Um, that's that's really all there is to the Swami character. You're right. Uh-huh. He, he thinks he's doing it and he and he he isn't. He believes he's a Swami. Mm-hmm. There's another Swami bit where he, <laughs> he's he got a machine gun and he's not going to kill all the people in the room because he swears he's going to turn the, the, he's going to turn the bullets into magical things that will not kill the people. There's another and there's another very dark bit where the Swami is trying to convince the little girl that she doesn't need to be afraid and she can go in that bear cage <laughs> and fight that bear. <laughs> It's pretty good. That's pretty great. That's fantastic. Uh, shit. What's Doctor Audio? That's the next one. And I, I uh, Doctor Audio. We got it. It's uh, uh, sort of a feature piece for Dan Coffee. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doctor Audio has been invited onto a quiz show where he has to identify certain sounds. Okay. Yeah. And he cannot identify a very, very recognizable sound, but the mm-hmm. caller can. And that's all. That's all, all right. there is to the. <laughs> Then they go into the 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 uh, the A side of their single "When Girls Collide." Yeah, a, a tale of roller derby. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uh well very well produced. Roller derby. What what it was this nineteen eighty? Sure, roller derby's a thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Very in the zeitgeist. Um, it's a, it's a, that's sung by Jim, so I'm assuming he wrote that. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That doesn't make Jim's uh, pretty goddamn musical. It turns out he's been in a couple bands since. Once mm-hmm. uh, one was called Child's Portion, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of gigs in the mid '80s. They would all play just children's instruments. <laughs> and he was in another big. He was in another band called uh, Boomer, mm-hmm. uh, who recorded a lot of tracks together. And they put out a single, which mm-hmm. wasn't on Discogs until I put it up. Kind of, you know, these guys didn't have a lot of uh, play outside of San Francisco. They were like yeah. um, the Baltimores. Who was a, a trio, an acapella trio that put out a single, and which were amazing, but mm-hmm. never made it really out of out of San Francisco. These guys would all gig together for years in, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area in the mid '80s. So all the all the wacky people knew each other. Uh, yeah. Karamazovs, uh, 
I don't think they ever actually gigged with Robin Williams, but they were around when he was when he was gigging. Okay, sure. Um, Kevin Pollock came up in the in the Bay Area too, and um, they were probably on some uh, bills together with uh, Dana Carvey and Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all the this whole comedy mafia, everybody knew each other. That's so weird. Yeah, I guess I'd forgotten that that's the era that we're looking at, and I always forget how many of those weirdos were up there at that time. Mm-hmm. Or when I say weirdos, I mean people who I consider to be very mainstream and boring like Jay Leno. It's very weird that he would be. Like, they, they, they practically all start out as weirdos. They're yeah, doing yeah. bits that blow people's minds. And sure. then then they're on TV and uh, they, they... And Monica have Lewinsky to... happens and you make Monica Lewinsky jokes uh, to this day if you're Jay Leno. Yes. You just don't you, stop. You, you don't stop. You bang on that mm-hmm. to the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never that may be whatever that may be then, then we have an, a then it goes straight into another gym piece earwax mm-hmm. earwax that was chuck mangione listening to ella fitzgerald what does it sound like not a whole lot <laughs> it's just he just goes into this complete off uh, he goes completely off on research volunteers and how they're mm-hmm. doing this work and then he just he just derails himself and says research volunteer how would you like to be called a research <laughs> volunteer? <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty wonderful. <laughs> so that leads into the big anchor piece. This is one of a couple of, uh-huh. well, Dan, uh, Dan Coffey wrote the piece, Dogman. Dan Coffey wrote uh, the other really great long piece for their second album, uh, The Mole Men. Uh-huh. Dan also Dan Dan wrote pieces like this literally throughout his career. Um, he would write these short these comic insane um, genre pieces, horror pieces, um, dramas that that turn out to have some insane aspect to them. They'd be little some of them would be bits that ducks would perform and some would be one act plays that um, would be performed uh, on bills with other um bits that was the thing about ducks and the, they were more they, they were in with the com- comedy community but they were also very much in with the theater community in the bay area and they would do evenings where it would be members of ducks but it would not be the ducks breath leon would leon uh, did a, a one-man play a monologue called the big fritter mm-hmm. um about a, a about a kid coming home to his family for the first time it was on a, a it was on a a bill with a play by Merle Kessler that was a musical that he did with his friend Raul Brody, mm-hmm. who did music for their second album. Uh, and there was a play, one act by Dan Coffey on that night as well. So these are guys that this the band literally broke up after about three years. And it didn't mean a thing because they were all still in town together and doing things and performing. And they were the Ducks Breath, but, but they were also doing these things as asides with they had their own careers as writers directors um actors um that all was happening concurrently with with ducks and that was the way that was how it was all the way through 89 when they did their movie which failed Mm. and that was kind of the end of 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 ducks breath as a touring unit Mm -hmm. i i had forgotten this bit entirely dog man which is uh purportedly the story of a man slowly turning into a dog but the narrator is also a character and keeps reminding him and everybody else to return their overdue library books 
that's the part that just gets to me and maybe my favorite bit is a bus driver oh somebody's late for the bus thanks for calling this to my attention passengers something that has never happened in the history (laughs) it's so good but the whole it's all the over the guilt of the overdue library books was getting to him or whatever like the narrator's (laughs) misreading everybody's fucking motivations it's I don't think I've ever heard a less reliable, not just an uh, unreliable narrator. This is a demented narrator who is on, on his own shit. And it's so great. <laughs> it's so great. It's it's pretty classic. I'm sad I didn't remember this bit because it's very good. It's very funny. Yeah. And Jim plays the uh, poor guy who is slowly turning into a dog who yeah. collects uh, these uh, dog figurines, the Hummel <laughs> figurine, gives his wife a Hummel figurine of a African Bazenji. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she doesn't she doesn't really want it. So he says, oh, can I have it? And he takes it in the other room. I'm going to put you away with the other guys, little fella. Can't wait you to meet them all. Um, and and Bill Bill Allard plays his boss, mm-hmm. and also and also the library policeman at the end of the bit, who, mm-hmm. who has to come and come after these books at the very end of the skit. Merle plays his wife, um, and Leon Leon plays his son, who's just delighted. He doesn't he you know it was nice having a dad and everything, but he'll he's happy just having dad turn into a dog. And there's more puppies at the end. <laughs> Do I call them my brothers or my puppies? Well, whatever they are, they're just fun now. Ha 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 ha. ha, ha, ha. <laughs> it's 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 amazing. Uh, okay, so the rest of it, this is where I again because of uh because of my power outage, I didn't get to listen to the rest of it. So, I'm but I'm being honest with everybody. So, Taylor, <laughs> you're going to have to walk me through the last four things cuz I don't okay. remember them. Okay. We're going we're going to start with Santa Claus. Santa Claus, yeah. Santa Claus is uh is about 12 seconds. Uh-huh. A, a son talks to well i might as well just do the thing imagine like an instrumental version of of uh, jingle bells is playing mm-hmm. underneath mm-hmm. and this is what you hear daddy daddy make santa go away i can't son he's grown too powerful <laughs> oh 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 that's it it's kind great. of it's like everything it really is like everything on this album that mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. just it kills and moves on in an yep. instant yep yep more of their experience of doing blackouts on stage um uh. but, but they can but they can do the longer bits too they're amazing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But after, santa claus, after santa claus we have a song india mm-hmm. which is a really catchy song um which they say is from the soundtrack of duck of the baskervilles uh-huh i guess it makes sense it's about uh it takes place in victorian age it's all about india uh-huh um something little britannia all the bloody time but one can get a nice tannia in these sunny climes and it just goes into sort of gilbert and sullivan sullivan thing where they say india rice and curry and the rest india right uh, there's no hurry of all the english colonies you're the best <laughs> It's uh, Gilbert and Sullivan for about two minutes. The this is where you, this is where uh, first time listeners to Ducks will realize how good these guys were at close harmony. Mm-hmm. They were awfully good. Love it. They did a lot of songs in their act, including an opera, four minute opera called the Four Hole Buick, <laughs> which is a 
uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, arias and Richard Deteves delivered by two guys with, uh, with a backing chorus in a uh, used car lot. And um, they, they would do the Osmonds on stage. They did uh, the Ramones, obviously, as the mm -hmm. Browns. These guys were good singers. And uh, it took me a couple of listens to figure out that they're actually double tracking in mm -hmm. India, mm -hmm. but uh, sounds amazing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, it's, so there, there's like up to you know ten parts that you're hearing at the wow. at the end of the song. It's uh, it's uh, a live. Uh, they, they perform it live, and then tracked it in the studio. But it's a really well produced song and very very catchy. On the back, um, it is described as a wistful salute to 19th century imperialism in B sharp, which I think is great. It's 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 pretty awesome. Or does it say B sharp? It says B something. I don't know what that says. I don't know my B, my notes. It's B flat. B flat. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Sharp's the pound sign, huh? I don't know my music symbol. I can't read music, so. I wish I could remember some verses from the song for you, but it's uh, fine. Some some something to playing. So I'll sit here on the veranda with my dynamite cocaine. <laughs> There's no one left to torture and nothing left to smoke, so I'll sit on the veranda with my coke, singing <laughs> India. Damn it! I'm I'm sad that that I didn't get to listen to it again. Uh, the next one is entitled "Mr. Silly Finale," and uh, that is the bit where Mr. Silly is heckled into giving up his show. Basically, he's he's hit. And and caveat emptor is the uh, last very very short track on the album. And mm -hmm. Leon says, um, "You've been listening to this record, for which you paid you paid how much? <laughs> Man, you could you could have gone out and done something and been alive instead of just spending this record on just stupid fart jokes and guys of poop heads coming out of the Midwest and joking." <laughs> Oh my God! His face imploded, <laughs> and that's it. Oh, what the fuck is this record? That's great. It's pure. It's pure comedy. It's got like I don't know. There's so again. This is 1980. I'm trying to remember other sketch that was around this time. I'm sure Cheech and Chong had a 1980 record. What was Fire Sign? What did Fire Sign have out in 1980? Oh, around 1980, there was their Fighting Clowns period. So they oh, were right. doing yeah, short okay. bits. They mm -hmm. weren't really doing skits so much, but they were doing mm -hmm. really dark, interesting comedy stuff. Like on the on the Fighting Clowns album, there's a bit called The Four Gobs, where they mm -hmm. all sing uh, just a verse from their own song. And uh, Proctor sings, you know, I want a certain girl, a certain kind of girl. She's going to be this and that and that. that. I, want, I, want, I want a sort of girl, the kind of girl, the kind of girl who's married. Um, they, they're all singing about, uh, and Bergman can't uh, think about any mistress except for nuclear war. Really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sweet, dark stuff. Um, yeah. But who else? This is about the time that python did contractual obligation yep, absolutely as i was just a really that strong piece of sketch writing and songwriting most mm -hmm. of the songs by eric an amazing period where they probably had twice as much in the can mm -hmm. that they they didn't release right as much as what was on the record yeah 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 i'm, I'm looking at 
uh, Cheech and Chong. This is a record I've never heard, which is just let's make a new dope deal. I'm guessing Cheech and Chong had about three records that are strong enough to function as their greatest hit record. And then that's about it. I love them. I love them. They sound beautiful, but you know, like not chance takers really. <laughs> not really. I mean, the, the only things that may, really made an impression on me there that mm -hmm. I actually ever owned were wedding album and Los Cochinos. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, when those, you're young, those, are, Los Cochino, those are really well produced as yeah. you pointed out. Yeah. Really well, good money comedy. A lot of money went into making them sound really good. Yeah. I mean, they brought in Lou Adler, who was producing brilliant music, and somehow, I still don't know the story of how he got, I don't know, because I can't get him on the show, I want to know how he got involved in those records, because I don't, I dare say those records wouldn't have worked if they hadn't Is he been still put alive? He, uh, well, when I last checked, he was. It's um, a good question. I don't know. When I last requested uh, to have him on the show, he was. Uh, yeah, he's still around. He's just uh, super old. He's like uh, 87. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 87 and still wearing what looks like a Kangol hat. Um, he's a very hip looking dude. He always looks like he's on some sort of safari with a bunch of other producers. He's got um, he's got a look. <laughs> he's got a look. Yeah. Um, I'm looking through the rec. I'm looking through my own record collection here for anything mm -hmm. else that came out in 80. 80, and, yeah. Um, uh just fighting clowns so far yeah, yeah. um I, I it was i was only eight so it was too early for me to go out and buy records mm -hmm. uh, so i don't have any musical comedy or comedy record uh memories from uh, sure. 1980 it's hard to think of was david steinberg still recording he was big in the mid 70s but he might have right. been done at that point how about martin mole oh god i mean i'm sure uh that's a good question because he has he has the most um, records of any artist that I own that I haven't listened to um, because I listened to about <laughs> two of them and I was like, okay, I got it. I'm good. And I love Martin Mull. His records don't hit me in the same way that um, other comedy of the... No, 79 was his last album and his last single. Uh, uh. So just, which would have been Sex and Violins because that's that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing he named his stuff. Yeah. Uh, we got, uh, I'm at the Wikipedia page for 19, oh, 1980s. Well, mm -hmm. 1980s is a whole decade. Does it, is, does it have a 1980 page? No, it does not. <clears throat> it was listing will... a whole bunch of 80s stuff, which I, as a comedy connoisseur, mm -hmm. knew did not come out in 1980. I will say contractual ob obligation, though, maybe my favorite of the other more standard-ish uh, things that came out, just because most of that ended up on Monty Python Sings later on and or, um, oh, God, what was that 1990s compilation? Uh, final ripoff. Um, so a yeah. lot of this is in there, and it's all beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's all, it, it's a pretty damn good record. It's, oh, it's got rock like, notes on it. Never mind. That's why it's the best record because it's got rock notes on it. Uh, frankly, far and away. yeah, that's 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 hard to top. I mean, yep. Lead electric, lead electric triangle with toe the wet sprocket has had to have an elbow removed. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Eric, you can't. What can't you write? <laughs> Fell God, off the back of a motorcyclist, it. most likely. Quick, oh, come on, from a, from a Clooney. So God, unstoppable. So good. No, it's, it, it, I was uh, one of the first questions I asked proctor when i interviewed him was what happened to comedy albums in the 80s mm -hmm. and there were there was a lot of great stuff that mm -hmm. was coming out but what i didn't know as a child was was that records were slowing down comedy records sure. 
were sort of going away. Yeah. He made the salient point that starting about in 80 is when you get comedies, uh, comedians doing stand up for cable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is uh, a lot easier to just, as in his words, do a performance, slap it on a tape mm-hmm. and just put it out there. That's yeah. uh, that's probably a lot logistically easier than trying to market an LP. Yeah, you can, sure. you can just when you can just do endlessly every year you can do Rodney Dangerfield's new young comedians. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's fair. Even though, you know, uh, we should point out that Duck's Breath does have another record. Indeed, they had a second LP in 1986 called Born to be Tiled. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of bonus material from that one, too. Just going to reassure everybody that uh, that uh, will eventually be resuscitated with bonus tracks. That's great. Um, is there anything you want to leave people with in terms of this record? Um, because I feel like it's one of those that is... is obviously worth listening to, but it's also one of those things that that maybe you shouldn't sleep on from this era. It's it's like worth considering, it, even if it doesn't have the impact these other records, it is worth considering amongst its oeuvre because it's got a, just a bunch of really good shit in it. It really does. This is not really timely at all. Mm-hmm. You, there are moments where you can really tell when it was recorded, but mm-hmm. it feels out of time. Um, in the best way that uh, Firesign work did too, which is that you can endlessly come back to it and it will still be about things that are happening now. This is just riffing on old radio tropes, on old radio horror, on educational films. All of the shit that they're riffing on here is still with us. Yeah. Uh, so it's just something you can listen to for your pleasure. It's just fun. They're like half a generation younger than Firesign. So, but it's interesting though that they're still functioning on the same kind of stuff. You know? What yeah, I mean? and they definitely came out of Firesign. When I met Leon, he said mm-hmm. those records made a big impression on him. And okay. They made a big impression on on all of them. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. They decided very um, specifically to go in a different direction. As yeah. every, if you're going to be a comedy group, you must kill your darlings. Sure. So, but it was all back there in their brains. These, yeah. uh, you know, figuring having it as reference of what could be done yeah 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 that's fair that makes sense uh taylor thank you for joining me thank you for thank you again for having me. us finally talking about a duck's breath um but like specifically duck's breath not just talking to the duck's breath gentlemen because they had their own stuff to talk about um what do you want to promote where can people find your stuff where can people find fire sign stuff duck's breath stuff uh, you can find me on uh, Saturday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Pacific and 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Fuji Puzzle Box, my show on the Sheena's Jungle Room stream of WFMU, mm-hmm. where I play uh, some uh, it differently enough in theme every week that I will eventually alienate absolutely everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm probably down to five listeners now, but mm-hmm, they'll mm-hmm. all be gone. By the sure, time sure, sure. I've 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 gone through the gamut of <laughs> alienating everybody. Um, blog is called uh, also Fuji Puzzle Box, and it's mm-hmm. just taylorjesson.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. The Firesign Theater is on. They have their own uh, site, firesigntheater.com, uh, with a store where you can buy books and DVDs and paraphernalia. They have mm-hmm. a Bandcamp page where you can buy reissues. There's a uh, Bear Manor books bear manor media where mm-hmm. you can buy a whole bunch of fire sign books including 
um, the complete Magic Mushroom plays. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can announce that there will be, um, I don't know when the uh, this particular podcast will hit listeners' ears, but uh, we are trying our damnedest to get a reissue of the Magic Mushroom plays ready for later this fall, uh, which is very exciting. Um, and uh, obviously, if you're into Mindless Fellowship, you can find the members of Firesign on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, the Ducks Breath have their own website, and they also have their own Bandcamp site, where we are building up a uh, back uh, catalog of reissues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You cannot nice. see the Firesign Theater, and you cannot see the Ducks Breath Although you can stalk them mm -hmm. and talk to them individually in person, they are very nice. I would. Dan Coffey is going to be a little more difficult. He lives in Thailand. So you're on your oh, own fair. there. If you're going to figure fair. out how to send something to Dan Coffey, ladies mm -hmm. and gentlemen, you're going to have to figure out how to make that address label in Thai. Okay? Sure, sure. That's all that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to go the distance, is what I'm saying. I, I feel like it would be uh, worth uh, the money to see the rem uh, you know all of Duck's Breath get together with the remaining guys from Firesign. Um, screw it, the remaining Python guys, and then <laughs> Cheech and Chong, throw them in for flavor, and let's see what happens. Let's make this um, upsetting stew uh, a reality. I'd like to see that happen. Even if a fight broke out and yes! lasted oh. 45 minutes, are you kidding? I'd still be on board. Oh, I'm sorry. Also remaining uh, members of Credibility Gap. Uh, that would also, oh, yes. that's also yes. necessary because, um, you that's know. Right. I, I want to see Michael McCain beat the shit out of Tommy Chong. I don't want to see that happen. It would be funny to see, but I don't want to see it happen. We want to, and we don't, and that's what comedy. That's what makes comedy. Exactly right. Thank you, Taylor. You get it. Um, uh, everybody, I don't know. Um, check out my other podcasts. Go go to StolenDress.com. That's where everything is. Uh, I've got a few other ones in the works. Um, if you guys go to StolenDress.com, uh, check out our contact page. That has our new address. If Especially if you're listening, you want to send me your comedy record to listen to that's on vinyl before November when the show ends. Uh, the new P.O. Box here in uh, the Detroit area is up there. You can check that out. Thank you again, Taylor, for being here. Thank you, sir. A delight and a pleasure. Thank you all for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!